drawing closer to God. Drawing closer to God. That seems like a pretty simple concept. Uh, that means that we want to be closer in our relationship with the Lord. We want to pray a little more. We want to uh, have a little more faith. We want to do a little more. I, I understand that. But what does it truly mean to draw closer to God? And, and we're looking at that this morning because drawing closer to God makes our life, our will, and our desire line up with what God has created us for. Here's the thing. God's word is static. It is unchanging. But now us in our lives, depending on what time of day it is, depending on what we're going through, that sometimes we just get out of sync with that. But believe believe me here, everyone, God has created you. I'm not talking to you as a church. I'm talking to you as a person and as an individual. God has created you for great things. He has created you to have the best that he has to offer, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He gave them everything, and he wants to give you everything that he has created for you. The world we live in, though, it strains to to suffocate and to strangle our connection and our relationship with God. But that's okay. Jesus came to strengthen our relationship, to establish a relationship with God all through Jesus Christ. And so what determines whether that happens or not? Well, it's your will. It is your will. And so as we look at this, we see that James has basically, we have come from a time in the passage right before this where he had talked about being peace-loving and using Godly wisdom, and now he jumps right back into it. And folks, when, when James is, is using these sharp words, it's not as someone trying to punish someone. It's much like a surgeon trying to precisionly cut out those things in our lives which are killing our fellowship with him. And before we read the passage, I want to read to you uh, a, a brief story here. Uh, I do the, I told about the Bible app a few minutes earlier. Um, they have devotions online that you can follow. And, and this one hit me right smack between the eyes the other day. It's by a gentleman named Kyle Eidelman. And uh, his, his book here is called The End of Me. And in this devotion, he has his first chapter. And I think that there's, there's nothing better that, that sums this up than this. He says, it's a letter he writes to himself. He says, Dear Me. I've known you for as long as I can remember. I once heard there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and yes, that's us. Though I doubt it's what the proverb was talking about, I've been close to a lot of people. But you and me, we have quite an attachment. Looking back, it's fair to say that I've treated you pretty well. As a matter of fact, more times than I can count, I'll put you ahead of anything else in my life and everything else in my life. Don't you agree? As we were growing up, I tried to make sure that you were always in front of the line. I saw that you got the biggest cookie on the plate, the best parking spot, and the comfiest chair in any room that we entered. In school, I noticed little things like the things that you liked, and I went after them. You always loved attention, so I did everything in my power to see that you got it. 
you still like the spotlight. So I've maneuvered you to keep you in its glare. Now that we have the internet, I have more tools. I post only the pictures that show you at your very best. Anybody would think that you're living the dream. Have you seen the comments people write about you? When you have struggled or had a hard time, I've done my best to keep that our little secret. Because I want everybody to know how happy we are. Sure, it was a little easier to keep you happy when you were a cute little tyke. I simply remember those temper tantrums that got the job done. Then as we grew older, I had to do a little more discreet in my actions. You wanted to keep whining and getting your way, all the while looking humble and unassuming. That gets tricky, not to mention tiring. I love you, me, but I can't keep living for you. You always insisted that if I'd keep you happy, then I'd be happy. As simple as that. But you know what? It's not as simple as that. It's never been that way. Me, I've let you control and sit in the driver's seat, but it's clear you cannot be trusted. You keep insisting you know the way that we should go, but it always seems to be a dead end. I've looked into some other options and I have decided to begin to journey down a different path. It's narrow and difficult and may be difficult to choose, but it leads to a real abundant life. However, There is no easy way to say this. I can't take this path if you are coming with me. I cannot bring you along. So me, this is the end of you. Sincerely, me. And as I read that, I saw my life kind of play out in that letter of times in my life where where whether it be a temper tantrum as a kid or or times when I wanted to have this air of self self entitlement and I thought man th- this is a great segue into what James is speaking today and so if we want to draw closer to God the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 6 is that your greatest enemy is yourself My greatest enemy is myself. He says, let's read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Let me say that one more time. Friendship with the world is hostility towards God. So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love in verse one, it says the source of the wars that fight among you are from our deep passions that are within our hearts. 
But I also love the way the King James writes that. He doesn't say passions. He says lusts. Our lusts for the world. Our lusts to settle our, to, 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 to help ourselves get what we want. These are the things that wage war on our spiritual life. Now, and granted, this letter is written to folks just like you that come to church every time the doors are open. And it's for us to, to get better and to see what's within us. I've heard it said before that the heart wants what the heart wants. You ever heard that? That is the biggest crock of baloney I've ever heard in my life. Yes, our heart wants things. Yes, our hearts want things that nine times out of ten are bad for us. I don't know about you, but if you take a child or an adult for that matter, and you say, look, you can have a cinnamon bun or a broccoli sprout. What are you going to get? A cinnamon bun every time. There might be a few of you that like broccoli, and that's okay. But nine times out of ten, if we are going to choose something, we are going to default to the things that are not necessarily the best for us. And many of you and myself have been guilty of living a life that God has given us and settling for not the best because we settled for something that the world offered rather than what God was wanting to offer to us. Why do we do that? Because of the passions within our heart. And I've said this verse before and I'll say it again. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is above all else the most wicked thing that we have. So if you're living by your heart and your feelings, it will put you in a ditch faster than you can say amen. I talk with people all the time, and I've even said this myself. Monitor your words, because if most of your words begin with, I feel and I think, that's that war that you're fighting. These, these selfish ambitions that you and I have, but there will always be wars and fights and violence and crime because there is a constant war in our heart. We have got so many people that devote their lives and countries that, devin, that, that, that spend millions of money. And we have men and women of our United States and of other countries that, that serve their country to find peace so they go to war. And folks, we still have them. And we always will have them until Jesus Christ comes back. Why do we have wars on a grand scale? Is because we have a war within our heart. And if you think that there is not a war in your heart with God versus the world, then you are sorely mistaken, naive, and you've got your head in the sand. There's not an age limit for this, this war. Whether you are 8 or 80, this desire to do what we want to do, it's my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to live. Those of you that are older, like your boy Frank Sinatra said, I want to do it my way. That's the war that he's talking about. And folks, internal wars, the wars that we have within ourselves, internal wars grow to the point of becoming external wars. You show me a person that's not happy with themselves, I'll show you a person that's not happy with anybody. You show me a person who's not happy with themselves, I'll show you a person whose life is filled with drama. And I'm not saying that to be critical, but I'm just saying we have to evaluate that if we are at war with ourselves, we are going to be at war with those around us. First, it affects you. 
Then it affects your family, your co-workers. And then it affects a corporation. Then it affects a community. Then it affects a state. Then it affects a nation. Then it affects a world. Because we are at war with ourselves. Self-conflict will spill over into your spiritual life. What's the result of self-conflict and selfishness in our lives? It breeds two things. Apathy and atrophy. Do you know what apathy is? You say, I don't care about apathy. You just figured out the definition. Where spiritually you just don't care. And then atrophy... It's like someone who has been in the hospital forever and they can't move their muscles anymore because they've quit being used and so they have to go to therapy and strengthen them again. Folks, when we don't use our faith, it becomes harder to use it. Our greatest enemy, again, is a reflection in our mirror. And there are some biblical examples of selfishness, so don't think that I'm just, I'm stepping on your toes and because I promise you, My toes are hurting too when I read this passage. But we're in good company. This is not to to make us feel better about ourselves, but, but think about it. Eve, she disobeyed God because she wanted to eat the tree to become wise like God. The serpent said, surely you will know everything like God knows. Ooh, sign me up for that. So Adam and Eve, they ate it, and then here we are. How about Abraham? In Genesis 12, we see that Abraham lied about his wife, saying that he was, that she was his sister, so he wouldn't get killed, and so his, his wife ends up being married to the Pharaoh, the king. And that was a big mess. He lied to protect himself. Achan, we read some time ago, it was, we were going through Joshua, Achan, God told, the Israelites, when they raided Jericho, don't take anything for yourselves. And there was just one guy. One guy that said, you know what? No one will ever see it. No one will ever notice it. But God did. My friend, if you're hiding a sin in your life and you think that God doesn't see it, you can't bury it enough, deep enough, for God not to see that. The greatest problem we have today, Isaiah 53, 6, puts it best. He says that we all went astray like sheep, but we have all turned to our own way. So the Lord is punishing us for our iniquities. But the thing is, selfishness gets our lives out of alignment with God. He says right here in verse 3, what does he say? He says, you ask and don't receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. So you spend it. On pleasures. Any of y'all ever had a car that had the tires out of the alignment? You know what I'm talking about? You're going down the road and... (laughs) I think I need to get these things aligned. (laughs) You hit the brakes and it goes... (laughs) I think I ought to get these things fixed one day. I know, I've lost it. Tammy's looking at me like, what is wrong with him? (laughs) I don't know. But when you're in a, a, a car that has the wheels out of alignment, the ride is not that good. And then, matter of fact, it chews up your tires. And you're having to replace tires before it's time because you're doing it the wrong way. That you're, you're out of alignment. And so what James is saying here is this. 
The reason your prayers are not being answered is because you ask for the wrong motives. You're asking because you want to get something out of this. Now, now don't crucify me when I say this. But I, but I know a lot of times in, in any church, and especially in our prayer meetings, when we go to make requests, we will get every physical ailment there is. And I think we need to pray for those people. I, I absolutely do because God is the ultimate healer. We have got a dear friend right now, as I'm sure many of you have dear friends, that are dealing with serious health issues. And we pray for them because we love them. But we also pray for them because we don't want to hurt. You know how I know that? Because sometimes God does not answer the prayers like we want them. He doesn't heal that person in this life. But He heals them ultimately. Oh God, if you'll just do this. Oh God, I know that you'll do this. And when he doesn't do that, you're like, oh God, you have failed. No, maybe you were asking with the wrong motives. Maybe I was asking for the wrong motives. When our lives are out of alignment to God's word, our prayer life tanks. So don't go out here and say, that preacher said we don't need to pray for people that have health problems. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying a better thing to do would be pray for those people for God's will to be done. To pray for healing. And if not, that you, whatever God does, you know it will be best. And it's one thing for praying for other people, but can you pray that for your life? God, this is what I'm going through. And this is what I want. You can tell him that because he knows. But be ready for him to do something even more amazing in your life. Than you even thought. I was listening uh, when we were on vacation last Sunday. I did what some people do. I listened to Charles Stanley. America's preacher. And he was talking about this similar topic. And he said, I'll tell you what. If God hadn't answered your prayer, expect something bigger than you ever thought possible. Folks, we got to quit praying in our will. And pray in his will. And the point is, the greatest thing that you and I can do. For our life today is not telling God to bless what we want, but asking Him to bless what He wants from us. Or like I said there, the greatest thing you can do for your life starting today is not telling God to bless what you want, but asking Him for what He wants from you. That's what the scripture is saying. And, and anytime you and ourselves, you and I put ourselves before God, we are practicing adultery? Is that what that scripture says? Y'all check me out now. Is that what he just called those good, fine, upstanding Christians? He called them adulterers? I'm just checking. Is that what your Bible says? Tell me, come on. Alright, just, just check it. Make sure I wasn't in one of those crazy translations this morning. He calls them adulterers. Yes, it is bad as it sounds. Anyone who has ever experienced the pain associated with adultery will feel the pain and the hurt and the shame that comes with that word. And so he wanted this to cut. Now, I love my wife with all my heart, but if I came home one day and said, Honey, I love you, but I also love someone else. Can we work it out? 
After I picked my jaw off the floor, I know what the answer would be. And I'd be asking somebody if I could go sleep on your couch. Or go to Airbnb, whatever that is, and try to find a place to crash. No, that wouldn't work. We're not, it, when, when we marry each other, we, it's like, you're mine forever. And I know there are people in here that you have had failed marriages. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. But you understand the meaning of this, of what he's saying, is that when we love anything but God, we are committing adultery against God. Even if it's a good thing. Why are we committing adultery against God? Because God calls us the bride of Christ. We are His bride. And God is a jealous God. It says in here that the Holy Spirit within us is envious. I'll go ahead and tell you. I remember the other day we were um, we were at the gym and Don and I were, were at the gym together. She was doing some different equipment and I was on the other side of the gym. And all of a sudden, this guy, I see from across the thing, this guy starts walking up to her. Ho, ho, ho. I gotta remember I'm a preacher here. So I see this guy walking up to her, and he's talking to her, and he, he hadn't even broke his stride, and I get right in between him and say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a wife. I mean, I'm a husband. I'm dead. And it wasn't that, that dramatic, but it was just one of the new trainers trying to get somebody to, to train. He would say, Hey, I'm new. Can I train you? But I'll tell you what, if it, if it had been it, I mean, still, that's my woman. Bought and paid for, right here. God does the same thing with you. And God does the same thing with me. When we're off doing our little things, when we have our mad at God spells, and we're off and and kind of floundering, God is jealous. He loves you. And all He wants you to do is draw closer to him. We see in verse 6 that humility combats selfishness. If you have a selfish streak, if you're dealing with that, isn't it great to know that as it says here, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to humble. The most selfish person in the world can be covered by God's grace because God's grace is inexhaustible. Again, I say it every week. There's somebody that will say, you don't understand what I've done. I don't, but God does. And that grace is what Paul says, sufficient for whatever that is. As strong as your selfish streak is, God's grace is greater. Let's take just a moment to see that the less of you means more of Him. Less of you means more of Him. And uh, I would like to, to give you a slick list of, of try eight of these things and then call me in the morning kind of like a doctor. But the good thing is you can just read it right out of Scripture. And so if you align it this way, you've got two categories here. You've got our initiative and God's response. Our initiative and God's response. If you look at verse 7, he says, Submit to God and resist the devil. 
Submit to God and resist the devil. What does that mean? That means to humble yourselves. Realize there is only one God and you're not him. You're not him. Submit to God and resist the devil. Do you realize you have the power to resist the devil in your life? You have got the very blood of Jesus Christ that when he is on you, you can tell him to get out of Dodge. Because God is greater. So if you humble yourself and quit making life all about you and seek God's word, and if I do that and I seek God's will and resist the devil, what does it say will happen? It's right here in scripture. The devil will flee from you. The devil will flee from you. And let me give you this news flash. That when the devil does flee from you, he is not fleeing you. He is fleeing Christ who is in you. There's a, a story in the Bible about the seven sons of Sceva that, that there are these guys that were trying to go out and they were trying to do miraculous healings and in the Lord's name. And so this guy goes in and he tries to heal these seven people that are demonically possessed. And then so he says his prayers and he says, be healed and leave. And those demons that were in those seven sons of Sceva, they looked at that man and said, Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. But we don't know you. And that man barely got out of that room with his life. Satan knows when you are a child of God and when you are not. If you want to resist the devil, it begins to dying to yourself, submitting to God, and let him do the heavy lifting. Because you cannot fight the devil on your own. He says, draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. I was talking with a friend the other day. We were doing a a Bible study on the prodigal son. And if you remember that story, the prodigal's father saw his son long way off. The one who had asked for his inheritance. He had squandered it on women and wine and, and, and wild living. So he humbles himself and he comes back to his father. His father sees him from a long way off because he's been looking for his son. And his father runs to him. My friend, if you run to God, he will run to you. And I got good news for you. How much space is there between you and God? It doesn't matter how far you have wandered. How much space is there between you and God? One step. One step. It's called repentance. Turning from Christ and trusting him alone. He says that we need to cleanse our hands. Folks, we're not going to get close to God if we have sin in our lives. We need to get rid of our pride, get rid of our greed, get rid of our lust for things. We need to purify our hearts. We need to set our minds on Him. We need to feel the weight of our sin. We need to humble ourselves. And we need to not be so critical of other people. Why is that? Because the law that you use to criticize others will be the same one used to be measured against you. You are not the judge of other people. We see in verses 11 through 12. Let's read those. He says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. <laughs> he must have been writing this to a Baptist church. Don't, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the laws, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge 
your neighbor. Folks, God commands us to love God and to obey others, not judge them. Now, I've heard some people before, oh, preacher, I'm not judging him, but God has called us to be fruit inspectors. (laughs) Fruit inspectors? Well, yes, preacher, you know the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that person doesn't have any of them. (laughs) Look, we do need to be wise. We need to make sure we don't hitch our wagon to someone who's going to take us down. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we look down on that person. When we focus on others, it causes us to lose sight of ourselves. God is the lawgiver. The judging is up to him, not to us. We are not good enough and never will be good enough without Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Let me ask you something. In the end, would you want to be judged by someone else or judged by God? Because I'll go ahead and tell you, God is the only one that will be fair. Judging others turns our humility into pride. The moment you look at someone and think that you're better than them, you have filled your life with pride and expelled all humility That's within you. If loving God and loving others draw people to Christ, a prideful believer will repel them from Christ. There are many people in this world today that will never set foot into another church because of the actions of a prideful Christian. And they'll be held accountable for that. But he says, do not criticize others. And draw closer to God. How do we fight selfishness in our life? With humbleness. Tristan, give me just one minute, buddy. I'm closing up. Thank you. Just go ahead and have a seat right there. Thank you. What we see here is we see that what hinders us from drawing closer to God. Maybe it's your past experiences. Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe it's other people. But the bottom line is selfish ambition stems from your fear of being hurt by someone else. Why do we draw back? Why do we protect ourselves? Why do we put up the walls? It's because we've been hurt and we don't want to be hurt again. Those walls that you put up to protect yourself will become the very walls that imprison you. That's why we need God. That's why we need Him as our Savior. And that's why when it gets tough, and even when it's not tough, we need to draw close to Him. And He will draw close to us. Draw close to God this morning. Let go of yourself and become all He has created you to be. Drawing closer to God is not as far away as you think. Again, it only takes one step. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this invitation. I thank you for this message. I thank you for this letter that you have showed us clearly where we need to rid ourselves of ourselves and make more room for you. Because, Lord, I know that if I have a picture of of my favorite great 
drink. If I don't empty it, there won't be room for more. Folks, we have to empty ourselves to allow God to be an empty yourself of yourself today. I don't know what you've been holding on to. I don't know what you have been struggling with. But it's time to let that go because it's that very thing that's keeping you from drawing closer to Him. If you don't feel close to God this morning, it is not His fault. He wants to run to you and draw you close. If there's anyone here today that wants to know God as their, as His, as their, their one and only and as Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, they can come forward and, and I'll pray with them and we'll, we'll teach them on how to get started on this walk. Maybe there's a, a believer that wants to come forward and pray either with me or at the altar or just right where they're at. Maybe if someone wants to join the church or be baptized, Lord, you know what the decisions need to be today. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond while this room is filled with people that would rejoice if one person said, I'm going to empty myself and fill myself with God. This is the time for you to respond this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?